0: Thank mm-hmm. Good morning. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, just a couple of announcements before we begin. Um, offering envelopes for 2021 will be here sometime next week. Is that right, Betty? In the next few weeks. So, um, if you use the offering envelopes, please get with Betty, and she'll have them um, in the next couple of weeks. So please be thinking about that. For those of you that remember Calvin Rice, he sends his greetings, sends his love. Uh, Linda spoke to him earlier this week. He and Betty are both doing well. His son Tim and his family are doing well. Tim had the COVID virus earlier this year. He's back in the pulpit and doing well, and so Calvin and Betty send their love. Um, Next Sunday, we will have a congregational meeting immediately following our worship service. Um, And the purpose of this congregational meeting is to approve the budget for 2021 and to elect a treasurer and assistant treasurer for 2021 as well. Also, we need volunteers to serve at the Ronsevert Food Pantry. Uh, Our time for service is Friday, December 11th. If you can do that to help pack bags, that is from 3 to 5 in the afternoon. And then Saturday morning to help hand out bags um, that's would be from 7.30 to around 10 in the morning. So if you can help out with that, let me know by next Sunday so I can call and let them know how many people to expect each time. So I have one other announcement. Before I get to that one, are there any other announcements? All right, if not, we do have a tradition in our church that if you have a birthday that happens to fall on a Sunday, that we will sing to you. And a little birdie told me there's a very big birthday today for Jonathan. So let's sing happy birthday to Jonathan. Also, today, uh, if you remember, today is also um Wesley and Sierra's anniversary, so be praying for them, second anniversary, and tomorrow will, of course be Isabella's birthday. Um, but uh, it's good that we have celebrations to think about because we are moving into that time of the year where we consider and begin to think about the expectations that we have for the celebration of Christmas, and we call this the Advent season. It is a season of waiting. It is a season of expectation. And so this year, I want to focus my readings for Advent on people who had expectations, who were waiting. So today, I want to look at the prophetess Anna that Mary and Joseph met after the birth of Jesus. So from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 36, So we as well are looking forward to the consummation of our redemption as we await the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our call to worship today comes from the book of Psalms. It is from Psalm 148, the last two verses, verses 13 and 14. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for His people a horn, the praise of all His saints, of Israel, the people close to His heart. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we do thank You for this psalm that reminds us that the heavens will praise Your name, that Your a- angels praise Your name, the-, the luminaries, the sun, the moon, and the stars praise Your name. As we go through the rest of Psalm 148, we see That not only all of creation praises your name, but the sea creatures, the snow, the hail, the rain, the clouds, princes, young men, young women, all praise your name. And we have been called into this place today to join in with that praise, to add our voices to the praise of all creation as we gather for your worship. Remind us, Lord, that you are here with us. Remind us that you are Emmanuel, God with us, uh, through your Holy Spirit and through your Son, so that as we worship, we know that you hear and accept the worship of your people. Lord, part of our worship is prayer, and we do continue this prayer by praying as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take Bible songs, that green book there in the pew before you. If you... A look uh, in Bible songs, there's a, the first 300 or so Bible songs and then it starts all over with some other older Bible songs there near the back. So we are going to be singing 26 in the back, Let Them Praise His Name, a Bible song based upon Psalm 148. Psalm 133 is typically uh, what we consider the national anthem of the ARP, but Let Them Praise His Name runs a close second. So let us stand and lift our voices and sing Bible song 26 in the back. Let them praise his name. Please be seated. We are called to be holy as God is holy. And if we are honest with ourselves, we know that we fail and falter in that pursuit of holiness. And yet God still gives us the means by which we may repent and turn to him. So let's take a few moments to silently confess our sins before God. As you have bowed and confessed, now lift your heads and hear these words. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Exodus. Exodus 23. We have just wrapped up a study of Exodus in Sunday school. uh, The study of of how uh, God gave the instructions for the tabernacle, for the priesthood. And the glorious message that even though Aaron failed greatly with the golden calf, he was still anointed and set up as the high priest of the nation of Israel. But prior to the building of the tabernacle, God gave laws for justice and mercy, laws that are found in Exodus 23, verses 1 through 9. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. Do not show favoritism to a poor man in in his lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the righteous. Do not oppress an alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be aliens, because you were aliens in Egypt. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now is the time in our service where we consider God's command to test him through the giving of the tithes and offerings to worship him by returning to him a portion of what he has given to us. We have the basket here at the front on the communion table. We also have a, an offering plate back by the, uh, the back door of the sanctuary there where you can drop your offerings or you can mail them in. And once again, thank you to those who have continued to be faithful to their tithes and offerings through this very difficult time in our world. To the God above, we do offer praise and glory to you, and we ask that you be honored and glorified by the tithes and offerings that are given to you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, and help us to be faithful to you, and use what is given for your glory, for your honor, and so that your light, the light of your gospel might shine into our sin-darkened world. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we began our service, I mentioned that Advent is a time of expectation, a time of waiting. And so let's take the hymn book and turn to hymn number 147: "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It should be our prayer all year long that we anxiously await Christ's return. So let's remain standing and sing hymn 147. be seated. We are a people of God, we are people gathered around the truth that God has revealed, a truth given to us in scripture and summarized for us in many places, but we confess today according to the summary in the Apostles' Creed. So church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. I have a couple updates, and then I will ask if anybody else has any updates or prayer requests. Please continue to pray for Chris and Missy. Uh, Chris is feeling a little bit better, but they're still struggling um, with the coronavirus, so please continue to lift them up in prayer. Um, Mandy Vance, um, Betty's daughter-in-law, Mandy, uh, was diagnosed with leukemia, and the the chemotherapy is um, causing her great difficulty, so please be praying for Mandy and for Mike. Uh, Carol had a um, pacemaker put in and is doing well. Was feeling better, still has a few weeks to get everything kind of at least feel like it's evened out, but she has been doing a little bit better. Um, are there any other prayer requests or updates? The Mary Ann Level family. Okay. I did see she passed away. Okay. So Mary Ann Level passed away this week, so be praying for her family. Anything else? Anyone else? All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we do thank You for prayer. We thank You that You have ordained that things work out in this world according to Your will through prayer. And we do lift up our world to You today. We live in a world that right now is filled with A virus, a virus that has caused great sickness, great illness, but has also caused great fear and anxiety. A world that does not acknowledge or know you has nowhere to turn when that world rebels, when that world shows very realistically the fact that it groans in anxious anticipation of redemption, redemption from subjection to futility that our sin has placed upon that creation. And so, Lord, we ask for your healing for Chris and Missy, for Ann, for Dee Brown, and for all of those who are struggling under the weight of this COVID-19 coronavirus. We Pray that this vaccine that has been uh, found, that has been developed, we pray that it is effective and that it shows your glory in that you have provided doctors and scientists um, the means by which to study this virus and to develop a vaccine that will hopefully, um, according to your will, provide some level of protection for those who are able to receive it. Lord, we ask that you um, give peace to our world in the midst of the difficulty of this pandemic. Help us not to um, give in to fear and to the anxieties that this pandemic can bring upon people, but help us as your people to rest in you and to find that peace that transcends understanding through prayer and through knowledge that you are God with us. As we think about our country, we think about our government um, uh, on a federal level that we pray for the courts and ask that you would give wisdom to the judges that have been appointed judges that you have raised up through our constitutional process that you would give them wisdom as they seek to interpret the law according to the Constitution, according to wisdom. We pray for our legislatures, for the, the Congress and the Senate. And ask that you be with each of them. Remind them that you have raised each of them up, even though you have done that through the elective process, through the process of casting and counting votes. Remind them that you are in charge of that process and you have placed each and every one of them in the position of power that they have. And remind them that you will hold them accountable to ruling according to your definition of justice, your definition of law, your definition of right and wrong, and remind them that just as quickly as you raise them up, you can tear them down and raise up others in their place as well. We pray for our current president and for our president-elect, and we ask that you give both of them wisdom, give both of them a sense of peace and cooperation as they go through this transition, and Lord, remind them as well that you raise them up and that you will hold them to account for their actions and for their governance Lord, help us as the people who have elected them to set aside many of our differences to realize that we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love you and that we as your people are members of Uh, of of a greater country we are strangers and aliens here on this earth called to be good citizens absolutely called to be good citizens of the country we live in but our true allegiance is to the city whose foundations are in God so help us to remember that and to to engage in our process here as citizens of America but to hold on to it loosely reminding ourselves that we are called ultimately to glorify you in all things, in all that we do. We pray for your peace upon our nation, upon our world. We pray that you remind us that there are many, many people in this world that are held captive to their sins, that are in exile because of their rebellion against you. And we have the glorious message of the Gospel, the Gospel of a Savior, the Gospel of God with us, the gospel of a God who took on flesh and dwelt among us, who tabernacled among us so that we might have salvation, so that we might have peace, not only within ourselves, not only with each other, but most importantly, peace with you. And remind us that that is the message that we proclaim. We proclaim a message of reconciliation that comes through peace with God. So help us to remember that gospel during this Advent and the upcoming Christmas season. In the hustle and bustle of this world, in the unknowns of family gatherings, in the unknowns of the holiday season, the Christmas season, we ask that you remind us that we celebrate the birth of a Savior who came into a world of unknowns, who came into a world of turmoil, who came into a world in rebellion against God and yet secured peace for that world through faith. And so, Lord, help us to long for that peace. Help us to proclaim peace to the nations, to our neighbors, to our family members who don't know you, and to celebrate that peace this Christmas time. or we do thank you for the answers to prayers that you have given to us We thank you for Carol and her pacemaker. We thank you for other uh, people that you have answered our prayers for healing for. And we thank you for those reminders that you do heal. We pray for Mandy today and ask that you give her healing from her leukemia. Give her um, strength in the midst of the difficulties with her medication. Lift her and her family up as they seek to uh, minister to her, protect her from viruses as her immune system will be compromised through this chemo. And we ask that you just be with the Vance family and all the difficulties that they are struggling with right now and their extended families as well. We pray for Mary Ann's family, the Lovell family, and ask that you meet them with comfort, that you meet them with your peace in the midst of this very difficult and trying time we thank you for the birthdays that we celebrate, not just today, but throughout the rest of the month and throughout the rest of the year. And We thank you that you saw fit to bring those people into our lives, to develop friendships, to develop family relationships with them, and that you saw fit to draw many of them to you as well. And we ask that you continue to remind them of your gospel in their lives we thank you for wesley and sierra that they have been reunited we celebrate with them today their anniversary and thank you to their thank you for your faithfulness to them oh uh while wesley was gone uh, with the national guard and we thank you for the faithfulness that you will continue to shower upon them over the years moving into the future we pray for ethan as he travels home this week and ask that you give him safe travel and um, allow a, a reunion between him and his parents here soon, um, allow them to be healed enough to welcome their son back home. Lord, for all the other decisions that are to be made in the in these upcoming days, whether it's Zachary or, or whoever has big decisions in life to make, we ask that you give wisdom and guidance in them. Lord, we do thank you for your word once again, and we thank you for the revelation that it gives to us of you and your wisdom. And as we turn toward that word, Lord, remind us of the glory of your gospel that is presented to us in that word. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please take up your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Um, Today we are in Proverbs 17. Uh, We will begin in verse 7 and read through 15, and we will look to see folly's destruction, how folly seeks to destroy um, relationships that God and people seek to build. And so please take up your Bibles and read along with me from Proverbs 17, beginning in verse 7. Arrogant, or if we look at the footnote there in the NIV, which is, is likely a more Apt translation, uh, eloquent lips are unsuited to a fool. How much worse lying lips to a ruler? A bribe is a charm to the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he succeeds. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. An evil man is bent only on rebellion, a merciless official will be sent against him. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. If a man pays back evil for good, evil will never leave his house. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. Let us pray. To the God who has revealed himself in his word. Who has revealed himself to be the God who gives a new living heart to those who believe. We seek your help. We seek your light today. Through this word, change us. Change our hatred to love. Change our despair to joy. Our anxieties to patience. Our dissensions, our arguments to peace our rudeness to kindness, our greed to goodness, our fickleness to faithfulness, our rough edges to gentleness, and our sinful desires to self-control. And Lord, as you change us, give me the wisdom and the words to proclaim your gospel to your people today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, as we considered uh, 1631 through chapter 17, verse 6 of the book of Proverbs, we looked at how God brings sanctification through family relationships and through the strife oftentimes that comes within families. And we saw that we did have a choice to either engage with God in that process to pursue peace within our families or to ignore God in that process, thereby causing strife within our families. And today Solomon carries on the idea of wisdom within relationships as he looks at relationships between the um, friends as well as relationships within the community. And And I think before we look at how folly seeks to destroy relationships within friendships and within communities, it's important for us to see in our rampantly individualistic culture that that God has built a foundation of relationships, a foundation of community that Solomon reflects in these two passages. It's, it's built upon the foundation of the relationships within families. Um, we know from Genesis chapter 2 that once God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, the very first thing he did was ordain the family relationship, the relationship between husband and wife, and called them to fill the earth, with offspring. And that is the foundation for our society is the family. And then as the families grew, they grew into friendships and relationships between peers and different generations. And so you had friendships grew. And as those friendships grew, they grew into societies. And yet the foundation is still that family relationship. But we will see today as we look that that folly, that Satan through tempting people to pursue folly is about the destruction of those relationships. And as uh, community relationships crumble, then uh, friendship relationships crumble, and ultimately the enemy pursues the destruction of the family relationship as well. But today we are going to focus on folly's destruction of relationships as we consider Folly's attempt to destroy friendships, and Folly's attempt to destroy communities through injustice. First, Folly's attempt to destroy relationships. Solomon begins by speaking of the relational destruction that the fool brings. Verse 9, the second half of verse 9, talks about the separation of... Of close friends, whoever repeats the matter separates close friends now, repeating the matter can have two separate uh, meanings um, as it 's related to separating friends. The first meaning is the idea of gossip it 's the idea of taking a, a a an issue between two people, an offense that has been given, and gossiping about it amongst the community and of course, that definitely destroys friendships, destroys relationships. But the other idea is kept within the relationship as this word could also uh, be translated harps on. Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker, talks about a story about a couple that came to him for counseling over some issues that they had and some offenses that were there within the couple. And he, he turned to the husband and he said, well, you know, Why don't you give me part of your side of the story so we can seek to work this out as he is after he had talked to the wife. And the husband said, the biggest complaint I have is that my wife gets historical every time we get into an argument. And Sandy looked at him and said, did you misspeak? Did you mean hysterical? He goes, no, historical. Every time we get into an argument, she brings up absolutely everything I have done wrong in our marriage. And that's the idea there, that harping on, that, that repeating the matter can mean within a friendship. Um, it's, it's that idea that, that um, we, we never let go of past offenses. We never, even once we seek or think we have come to a point of reconciliation, we still hold back just a little bit. Hey, do you remember that time that you did this? Because it reminds me exactly of what you're doing now. It's, it's a means by which to destroy that person, but what it ends up doing is destroying the relationship. It causes quarrels, which we're warned about nearer the end of today's passage in verse 14, where it says starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. When we get historical in our arguments, when we get historical in our offenses and in our disagreements, it's like a crack that begins in a dam. You think it's no big deal holding back millions of gallons of water and there's just one little teeny tiny drip coming through the dam. And being historical starting corals is like that teeny tiny drip that just drips and drips and drips. And then next year it's, it's two or three drips a minute instead of just one. And then a couple years later it's a, it's a steady flow, a trickle of water coming through the dam. And if left, undealt with over a period of time that dam breaks and causes great destruction. We joke about churches being split over the selection of carpet for the sanctuary. That split, that that joke, that, that one little seemingly insignificant event that splits a church is just the hair, the straw, excuse me, that proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. Somewhere in the past, it could have been a recent past, it could be the far past. A quarrel happened. It started. And it was never properly dealt with. And it's a small thing, but both parties remembered it. And both parties gathered together people around them to support them in their right. And water started dripping slowly from the crack in the dam. And over time the, the crack widened and little by little until somebody wanted pink carpet. And somebody wanted fuchsia carpet, and everybody argued over it. Now, guys, pink and fuchsia are just about the same color, so that's kind of funny. Or close enough to the same color to be red, actually. For Ladies, for guys, there's only seven basic colors. red, orange, Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And indigo and violet are pretty much the same thing anyway, so there's really only seven. I realize you all have more colors than that, but run with me on it. But the church splits. The witness of the church is sullied because this quarrel broke out. It was harped on over years and it was never dealt with. So what is the antidote to the destruction that the fool seeks to bring to relationships? It comes through covering an offense. And just like um, repeating the offense can mean two things, we see two aspects of covering an offense. The first aspect is you know what, sometimes, brothers and sisters, there's offenses that we can just let go. I know we always think we have to be right. But the reality is we're not always right. And sometimes there are just little teeny tiny offenses that happen that, that yes, they upset us, but they're really not that important. And we can say, you know what, I'm going to forgive so and so. I'm not going to hold it against them. It's no big deal. I'm just going to forgive them and move on. And, but I also understand that sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes those offenses are such that they just have to be dealt with because they're really causing stress within the relationship. And, and we see the answer to that, that part of covering over is found in verse 10. It says a rebuke impresses a man of discernment. We must do the work of making sure that we uh, ask forgiveness for and repent whatever it is that we have put into this particular offense before we say, and I need to ask you about X, Y, or Z. I need to ask you about what... I, I know that this is what I did. This is how I reacted. I, and I, I ask your forgiveness for this. I just need to bring this to you and see what's going on. And it's that idea of rebuke that a man of discernment, a wise man, a wise woman will take that rebuke and they will run with it in such a way that they will bring peace. They will bring restoration. They will bring healing to the relationship. Now, why do we cover? Why do we rebuke? Well, we do it in love. What does verse nine says? It says he who covers over an offense promotes love. Love. The man that I mentioned earlier that Ken Sandy referenced with his wife getting historical, that's not love. This idea of rebuking must be done in love. This idea of covering over the offense must be done in love. Love for God and love for neighbor. Do we, do you, do I love each other enough to seek the welfare of the relationship over and above our own pride, over and above our own desire to be right? And do we remember that in love Jesus secured our reconciliation with God and in securing our reconciliation with God, he he secured our reconciliation to each other, doing so at the cross. The fool repeats, the fool harps on, the fool quarrels and causes relational destruction, whereas the wise man seeks peace. Then he goes on to community destruction through injustice. Verse 8 focuses on bribes that are given to officials. And if we read verse 8, it says a bribe is a charm to one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he succeeds. And it almost sounds like Solomon here is saying, hey, Rehoboam, you're going to be future king. Let me tell you how to make things work. Take bribes because they're awesome things. But if we look at the meaning of the word bribe, in itself, we see that it's actually a negative because bribe is a word that literally means a gift given to turn the tables in a court of law. We read from Exodus chapter 23 that that God is very concerned for the just application of the law. Now we're talking God's justice here. We're not talking what our culture, what our community calls justice or social justice. We're talking the equitable and equal application of the law, regardless of your standing in the culture, regardless of your race, regardless of your economic status, regardless of where, what power you have in the culture, that since you are created in the image of God, created by God, under the authority of God, The law should be equally applied to you, all other things taken out of consideration. The reason that's different than what our culture today often pursues as justice or social justice is because that justice is rooted in power or powerlessness. And power is not necessarily in the hands of the economically wealthy power is not necessarily in the hands of the politically what we would consider to be politically powerful the russian revolution in the early 20th century the poor took the power and you know what the poor did with the power in that revolution they murdered they slaughtered they stole that's the type of justice that we seek in our Culture today, it's not the equal application of law, it's the reversal of power. By whatever means necessary, no matter who it hurts. And we have to be very careful that when we in the church talk about justice, we're talking about God's justice and not culture's justice. Because oftentimes our culture's justice breaks the rest of God's laws in the pursuit of that justice. And also, I've stepped on enough toes. Let me just keep right on going. Most social justice today seeks the destruction of most community relationships, whether it's family, whether it's friendships, whether it's nations. It seeks the destruction and destabilization of relationships. Whereas God's justice, if the law is equitably applied to humans, regardless of their status, can promote relationships within a family, within a culture, within a society. But verse 8 focuses and is a warning to, to Rehoboam, don't accept bribes. Yes, it's going to turn your heart away from justice, but God cares a lot about justice He pulls no punches in verse 15, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent. The Lord detests them both. We have a real problem with this in our culture today. We let a lot of guilty people go free while condemning people who pursue good and right within our culture. I'm not necessarily talking about you, not necessarily talking about the people in this room, but our culture as a whole has got the thing backwards. God cares about the equal application of the law, that the guilty are guilty, that the innocent are innocent. And if the guilty deserve punishment, then guilty person A and guilty person B, if they are both guilty of the same crime, get the same punishment. The wealthy are not to be given preferential treatment because of their ability to pay and enrich the judge. The poor are not to be given preferential treatment because of pity or other motives. The law must be applied and judged equally and equitably regardless of the status of the offender. If one begins to place favorites in small matters of the law, the problem can go to grow to extremes. If you begin to show favoritism because of economic status, you will end up letting the guilty be declared innocent and the innocent be condemned. You'll be lenient on them because they're poor, and it will eventually lead to people getting away with literal murder. You'll take money from the rich for a lighter sentence, and it will lead to the exact same place. God cares about the equal application of the law. And that's a problem for us. It's a problem for us because we're broken. We're sinners. And we play favorites. We were watching The Crown lately. Don't necessarily uh, recommend it. I, I realized in watching The Crown the other night that I've just been watching a historically based soap opera. But anyway, the, the, one of the storylines in the episode we were watching the other night was, was the uh, Prince Philip, King Philip, whatever its title is, Philip asked Elizabeth who was her favorite child. And he forced her through a process of admitting who her favorite child was. We all play favorites. We all have friends or family members. We all have people within our culture that we elevate to a status. We must seek not to do that, not to play favorites. Because God will not play favorites with us. There is no deficit within you that you can show to God. Well, Lord, I just didn't have a whole lot of money. And so since I didn't have a whole lot of money, I had to go steal food to feed my family. You know what God's going to say to you? I condemn you. There is no riches that you can carry to heaven. The the old joke, there's no U-Haul on a hearse. There's nothing you can take to heaven that will say, okay, God, I'm going to give you everything I made in my lifetime. Just go ahead and let me skate by. God's going to say, no, I'm going to give you the same equitable treatment that I give to everybody else. And that presents us with a bigger problem, because how does God then forgive sin? How does God declare the guilty to be innocent? Because isn't that what the gospel rides on? Is God being able to declare the guilty to be innocent? We've talked about God's justice before. God's justice demands that the punishment fit the crime. And we have and continue to sin against an infinite God. And left to ourselves, given the gift of immortality, we would sin into eternity against an infinite God. We deserve infinite punishment for our infinite sin. And yet he gives us forgiveness. Why? Because for those who believed, he poured that punishment out on another human being, on the cross. It's a means by which we are able to be reconciled to God. It's the means by which we are able to be reconciled to each other. It's because Jesus kept the law perfectly. And had God asked him to walk this earth for eternity, keeping the law, he would do so. And continues to do so as a human being in God's presence. And he offers the rewards of that law to you and to me. And so God can still be just and the one who justifies. God can still pay the punishment for sin at the cross and offer forgiveness to those who are rebels to him. And the fool laughs at justice. And in laughing at justice, he seeks the destruction of the community. We do live in the world of Ecclesiastes 8.14. You ever read Ecclesiastes? You will come away slightly depressed if you understand what the author is saying. Michelle pointed out to me the other day that my Christmas attitude is meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It comes straight from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the joy of being a pessimist at Christmas time, and just saying, <laughs> everything is meaningless. But the teacher is pursuing all of these things. He pursues wealth, he pursues knowledge, he pursues pleasure. He looks at the world, and he comes to this, this declaration that under the sun, everything is meaningless. And he says this in chapter 8, verse 14, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Many people think that Solomon was the one who wrote that later in his life. He reminds us that that injustice is not rooted in meaninglessness But that injustice has an end, and he reminds us of that in today's passage, verse 11. He says, an evil man is bent only on rebellion. A merciless official, that word official could also be translated angel, a merciless official will be sent against him. We proclaim a God of mercy, and rightly so. He is a God who offers grace and salvation. But there will come a time when his mercy will run out. Where we as human beings will stand before him. And every thought, every word, every deed that we have ever thought, spoken or done. Will be played out for us in the presence of God. And for those outside of Christ, the mercy will no longer be there. That's a sobering thought scary thought. But for those who understand, who embrace through faith, the work of Jesus on the cross, there is forgiveness. There is reconciliation with God. And we will hear that welcome. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The only hope of humanity for justice is not in a president. It's not in a king. It's not in a dictator not in a congressman or a governor, it's not even in a civil magistrate. The only hope for justice in our world is the cross. It offers us forgiveness because justice was filled, and it reminds us that one day for those who reject the forgiveness, that justice will happen. We do look on a world sometimes and we go, really, what's going on? A wealthy young man in Texas gets six months probation for vehicular homicide under the influence of alcohol at the age of 16 simply because his parents are wealthy and somebody else who can't afford a good lawyer spends 10 to 20 years in jail for a minor offense. We should fight for justice in those situations. But understanding that justice means the equitable application of the law, and that the only time we'll see true justice is when we see Jesus. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this reminder that you are a God of justice. You seek and call us to be just within our families. You seek and call us to be just within our friendships, and you seek and call us to be just within our communities. Lord, we weep and lament the injustice in our world, the injustice that happens within families, the injustice that happens within friendship, the injustice that happens in our community. And we are so tempted to see all this injustice and go, it is all meaningless, why do we pursue Remind us that we deserve justice and it should scare us. And remind us as well that your justice for my sin poured out upon my Savior and was satisfied so that I can look out upon an unjust world and know that your justice reigns. And know that things will be right. And when we stand before you as judge, we will see all the injustices of this world either punished in those who perpetrated them or punished in the cross. Or for those that we know who have been victims of injustice, help us show them the glory of the cross for those who are perpetrators of injustice change their heart remind us all that we all need our hearts changed because even if we've been victims of injustice we are perpetrators of it as well turn our hearts toward you turn the hearts of our country toward you I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today is another reminder that we watch until Christ returns and that we anxiously await his return. So take up your hymn books and turn to hymn number 149. Watchmen, tell us of the night. So let us stand and sing. As you go this week, may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As we consider the injustices of this world, we pray with the Apostle John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.